So this morning we're working our way through John chapter 4. And I'm just going to take a few verses, which is kind of how I do it anyway. But we're, we're in the middle of this conversation between Jesus and we, we call her the woman at the well. And um, Jesus has revealed to her that he knows what her, her past is like. And when he told her to go and find her husband, verse 17 of chapter 4, and the woman admits, I, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, well, you've spoken, you've, you've said well, you've spoken well, for you've had five husbands, verse 18. And the one whom you have now is not your husband, and that you have spoke truly. And there's, there's always this very negative perception of this woman. I, I talked about this a little bit last week, and that may not necessarily be the case. For all we know, maybe all five husbands died. Maybe they divorced her because she couldn't have children, or for whatever reason. Uh, there's, there's just a lot here that we don't know that we have to be careful that we don't become too presumptuous when we look at this passage. And again, she's living with a guy, so there, that, that's an issue, right? But the big question that I asked you last week is when you read this, do you, do you see Jesus dealing with her sin or do you see Jesus in compassion dealing with her need for love and her desire to be loved and her, her, her wanting to be accepted. And, and uh, obviously, she'd had a, a difficult life. Um, however, however you want to slice the bread. And the interesting thing about this is that Jesus steps into what we call the supernatural. Remember I mentioned last week that with God there really isn't supernatural. There's only one thing, and it's all natural to God. But I'll call it supernatural because to us it is very supernatural. And he steps into the supernatural and, and, and gives this word of knowledge that he has about this woman. And it seems to cause her to become more curious about spiritual things. And I, I, I think that God works in our lives supernaturally so much more than we even recognize. And the work of the Holy Spirit doing those supernatural things that we might not even really observe in such a way that it releases a greater hunger and a greater thirst, a greater desire a greater curiosity for the things of the Spirit. And so the, the woman says to Jesus in verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming. And when you will neither on this mountain, referring to Gerizim, Mount Gerizim, nor in Jerusalem, 
worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming. Refers that a second time. Take note of that. And now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning about what it means to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit that we may have greater understanding of your word. That it would not only feed us informationally, but it would also feed us formationally. That we would experience a transformation by your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. So this woman recognizes that Jesus must be some type of a prophet. I did a lot of reading on this, um, and I, I found it fascinating um, to me, um, although I'm not going to share a lot of it with you. Uh, a lot of different Samaritan ideas, a lot of different Jewish ideas, a lot of different contrast between the Samaritans and the Jews. And, and a lot of it, uh, as far as where this woman is coming from, is a bit speculative. The Samaritans were also looking for a prophet. This could be translated the way this is structured in the Greek, Sir, I perceive that you are the prophet. Referring to Deuteronomy chapter 18, where Moses says there another prophet will rise up like me and him you will hear. It's a reference to the Messiah. And also later in Deuteronomy, it says that there had, there had not been a prophet that had been risen up since Moses, not up until the time it had been written. And so there was this expectation that the prophet would come on the scene. They, again, both the Jews and the Samaritans had some type of an understanding, although different understandings. This is where it gets really complex, and I'm not going to delve into it much today. But they had different understandings of who the prophet of Deuteronomy 18 was. Remember, the Samaritans only believed, or they only accepted uh, the first five books of the Old Testament, known as Torah, also known as the Pentateuch. Uh, th th that was their scriptures. They, they believed Torah was inspired, um, and they didn't really listen to the writings. They didn't really read much of the writings, which would be the Psalms, the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, Song of Solomon. You get the idea. And they, they weren't listening to the prophets. They were strictly people who, who really tried to, to get their um, understanding of who God is through Torah, which is interesting because if you've read much Torah, 
you will eventually realize that, that alongside the written Torah, there was also an oral tradition. There was also an oral tradition that essentially um, interpreted some of the passages in Torah that are very hard to understand. So they were looking for the prophet, but they saw, the Samaritans saw the prophet as being kind of a second Moses. At least that is what a lot of the, the historical writers write about, and they talk about this guy called the Tahib, T-A-H-E-B if you want to spell it. It is first found in a Samaritan writing. The problem with this, so I'm going to tip this whole thing on his head, all right? The problem with this is, is the earliest uh, writings they can find about the Tahib is in the 4th century. Okay, I got your attention. That's 400 years after the time of Jesus. Whether they had believed this earlier than that or not, and it, became, it was once an oral tradition and then written down is really uh, too hard to really determine. But nonetheless, this woman had some form of a biblical understanding. Isn't it interesting that different groups can look at the same Bible and come up with different interpretations? Isn't that strange? I was listening. I shouldn't tell you this. But I'm already, I, already opened the, I already opened the door, so I'm doing it. I was listening, or reading, I was reading a manuscript that, it was an interview of a guy, I won't tell you it was W.A. Criswell, but it was a manuscript of a guy who, uh, and, and he said, if you just read the Bible plainly, you will understand it exactly as I do. A couple of you are already shaking your head. I really, I, I just, and I liked that guy, I really did. Uh, Criswell's passed away, and, and he knows better now, okay, um, I don't always really comprehend, and I do not have a good answer for all of you, of why we would read the Bible and have different interpretations. I tend to think that if you don't agree with me, that you should reread. I'll just say it that way. How's that? But I also know that I have changed my mind from time to time. Haven't I, Ken? Ken's like, yeah, yeah, I wish you wouldn't have. No, anyway, but, but I have changed my mind. I have different views theologically than I had when I first moved here. A few of them, not many. Now, I still believe in the essentials of the faith. And, and to me, those are non-negotiable. But to everything else, I think that we really need to look at, we need to question. And we need to explore. And we need to get some type of an understanding. What's interesting about this woman, now follow me on this. This is to me, this just leaped off the page to me. She recognized a Jewish prophet. Not a Samaritan prophet. Her understanding was looking for a Samaritan prophet. That's what she had obviously been taught. But in her conversation with Jesus, she already knew that what? He's a Jew. And she recognizes that she's talking to a Jewish prophet. 
how, how? And, and, uh, and, and I could see probably some of her more legalistic friends, if she had any, would be like, how in the world could that even be true? Weren't you, were you asleep during Sabbath school, right? The release of the supernatural made her more open to the truth. And she is already entering in that, into that which Jesus is describing of the Father is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. She's already entering it. Now, she may, not be in, she may only be in up to her ankles. I know some of you are starting to be like, what are you talking about? She may only be in up to her ankles. But she's questioning. She's having a conversation. She's asking. She's thinking. Which, in my mind, my understanding of Scripture, that's worship. It's not the only aspect of worship, but that's worship. So she recognizes this Jewish prophet, and it is somebody other than who she was taught to expect. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm really not. But I think when the Lord returns, it's going to be something very different than what we have been taught to expect. That's just my opinion. And I know your mileage varies on that one. And that's okay. Because what's interesting to me, particularly when Jesus comes on the scene, even those who were seekers, even those who were hungry, even those who hungered and thirst for righteousness sake, really didn't have any idea of what to expect when Jesus came on the scene. Why would it be any different in the future? That's just my opinion. You can take that any way you want. And so she says to, the, to Jesus, our fathers worship on this mountain. It's talking about Mount Gerizim. Without going into the detail, it's talking about Mount Gerizim was, was in the book of Deuteronomy. It was the place where the blessings were proclaimed. If you look in the latter part of the book of Deuteronomy, they, they have this place where they're proclaiming blessings and they're proclaiming cursings. Mount Ebal was the place of the cursings. And then Mount uh, Gerizim was the place that they proclaimed the blessings. Without going into a lot of reason, I read a lot of history on this and I found it interesting, but it's not really important for what we're looking at this morning. The Samaritans essentially established a temple up on Mount Gerizim. We'll just leave it at that. And that became their place of worship. Now, this is important. It became their place of worship. So let me let the cat out of the bag a little bit. I may say this again. I hope that this building is not the only place that you worship. So our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews, by the way, Jews is in italics, but it, it makes sense to be there. You Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. 
So perhaps she's being a little bit contesting, but at the same time, I think this is a hungry heart. Because she's asking the question, where did we worship? Where did we worship? But let's take that question a little deeper. Where do I find God? That's what she's asking. Where can I find God? Probably the most important question that anyone could ever ask. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming. This phrase, the hour is coming, is an end time. Can I use a $500 word this morning? It's an eschatological term, all right? It's a reference to this idea of the end times, which is actually here if you read Acts chapter 2. But it's not yet here in its fullness, just like the kingdom of God is here if you read the Gospels. But it is not yet here in its fullness. In other words, it's a progression in this time-space continuum. So, the hour is coming. It's, it's a phrase that John will use. Actually, Jesus used. John records it. When you were neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, worship the Father. Now, that must have been a huge curveball. Don't worry about worshiping in Mount Gerizim. And, oh, by the way, don't feel like the Jews have one up on you now. Because Jerusalem's not going to be the place either. Jerusalem will not be the place either. I think we need to take that into context as we read some of the writings in the New Testament. You will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. And then he, 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 he speaks a word of correction. You worship what you do not know. In other words, you guys don't have it right. Now, the Samaritans, their holy scriptures was Torah, first five books of the Bible. The Jews accepted Torah as the first, as, as inspired, but between the Jewish Torah and Samaritan Torah, there were minor, minor differences. They weren't really that significant. They were minor differences. But Jesus says, you worship that, that which you do not know. What's he going after? He's going after their oral tradition is what he's going after. Because the oral tradition is the interpretation of Torah. It was their tradition that put a rival temple on Mount Gerizim. Again, people reading essentially the same scriptures and coming up with two different opinions. But then again, that's like the Midrash, isn't it? Isn't it? You put 10 Jews in a room and you end up with how many different opinions? 12 at least, right? You worship what you do not know. How often is that, could that be said of some of us? 
That's a tough question. See, when I, I thought of this, I thought, I don't have an answer to that. I didn't have an answer to that when I thought about it last week. I don't have an answer for you now. But I think, I think it's, it, it's, it's, it's an unsettling question. And it should be an unsettling question because I believe questions like this are those types of things that either cause us to want to dig in deeper to the things of God or to, to step back away from the things of God. Oh, it's just too hard. It's just too hard. I, I'll just, I'd rather watch a television show. Or are we hungering and thirsting for righteousness' sake? See, Jesus is really pushing this because I think he's also wanting the, to see, well, he already knows because he's God, but he's really wanting this woman to recognize how hungry are you? And then he says, we, speaking of Jews, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. What he is telling us here is that God worked in a particular way, in a particular order, within a certain time frame, and he established his people, Israel. Remember, the Samaritans are part Israeli, by the way. Okay, they're not... They're not full-on Gentiles. In fact, I read some sources that referred to, to Samaritan Israel and Jewish Israel, but I won't, see, there was a, they, they saw this as a difference. I won't really bother to get into that. But God worked in a particular way, in a particular time, in a particular uh, circumstance with particular purposes. You see, the Samaritans did not recognize the prophecies of the son of David who would come and sit on David's throne, referring none other to than Jesus Christ, the Messiah. They didn't recognize that. But God is working in history and it's not a matter of nationalism or ethnic pride or ethnic na or uh, national pride or any kind of pride in one person's origin but it's a matter of recognizing that which God is doing and and getting on board with that does that make sense Again, I'll go back to what one of the things that Wimber said that I, I love is, is don't ask God to bless what you're doing. Find out what God is doing and then bless that. You see, the Samaritans wanted a relationship with God, but they wanted it in, within the context of a Samaritan understanding of who he was. Now, we don't do that today now, do we? That's not prevalent in this country, is it? 
we have to be careful that we don't fall into the same traps that the Samaritans fell into, and thereby we start erecting our own temples, at least in our mind, of how we're going to worship God. Now, I find it fascinating that there is a group. They did that. They built their own temple here in America. They built one in Salt Lake City. And that wasn't good enough, so now they got them all over the place. And, 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 and uh, so many things wrong with that particular religion. So many things. Not to mention this idea of another set of books and a latter-day prophet and all that stuff that, that, that to me just absolutely makes no sense. Salvation is of the Jews. Not Joseph Smith. Jesus is saying a whole lot more here than I think we're even really understanding. Salvation is of the Jews. God called one man. Abraham. From which he became the father of a nation. But he became a father of peoples. More than the sands of the sea, more than the stars in the sky. Because Paul is very clear in the book of Galatians that those who are of faith are of their father Abraham. Because Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. The Messiah came forth from the Jewish nation. And then the Messiah comes and he's tipping all of that stuff on his head and saying we're moving into a new direction, moving into a new covenant. Now is not the time, or now is no longer the time to worship on, on Gerizim or to worship in Jerusalem. Salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming. He uses that phrase again, and now is. Now how can that be? The hour is coming and now is. Is that, is that not a paradox? Or are you not awake yet? Okay, that's a paradox. But that is the same kind of framework that, that we are taught in, in the Gospels where it says the kingdom of God is here, where the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here, but is not yet here in its fullness. The hour is coming and now is. When the true worshipers, that should get our attention. Are we a true worshiper? And what does it mean to be a true worshiper? Which I'm not going to answer. I want you to think on that. I want you to give thought and prayer to that. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This passage has been, I've, I've heard a lot of different sermons on this passage over the years. And it's been taught in such a way where 
is, is used as, as an opportunity to, to explain the, uh, the anthropology of man, of human, uh, uh, human anthropology. Of what does humanity consist of? What does man consist of? And I mean man in the generic term. What, what does it consist of? Are we body, soul, and spirit? Are we body and spirit? Are we body and soul? And I think even attempting to understand this is, uh, I, I think we only can have partial understanding because what, what fascinates me about the scripture is that, that in the gospels particularly, Jesus makes these incredible declarations and he doesn't really explain them. Now you see why I'm going to go to seminary in heaven? He says those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, what in the world does that even mean? I can give you, I'm going to give you an educated guess. I'll give you my best thoughts on it. Because the Bible talks about in humanity, we have a body, we have a soul, we have a mind, we have a spirit, we have a will, we have a heart, we have a strength. I know I'm missing one or two of maybe even three of them. And how much that overlaps into, into the other is really unknown. But for my understanding of this, I, to, I, I, to me, I, as I'm getting older, I want it simpler. Because the reality is people go round and round and round and round and they talk about these things and, and at the end of the conversation, there's never a consensus And God help us that we're never like W.A. Criswell, that if you read the Bible like I do, you're going to understand it just like I do. And God bless you for it. Man is physical. We know that. Man is spiritual. We know that. And in the context of this conversation that we are looking at here in John 4, the question that this woman is asking is, where can I find God? Where do I worship God? And she's thinking physical. She's thinking material. You ever, I, I remember when I was in basic training, I'm going to clean this up for you, because it's church. We were on the drill pad, and one of my friends, he made a right when he was supposed to make a left, and the TI saw it, and he, he, just, he just explodes. He's yelling and screaming, and he puts the, the flight to a halt, and he comes running up to this guy, and he's beat red in the face, and I'm kind of like standing close to him, and he's like, what is wrong with you? I've got to remember how to do this correctly. He goes, do you not care, or are you just stupid? Now, he didn't say it that way, okay, but you can imagine, right? What is wrong with you? Do you not care? You're just stupid. And the whole time, I'm standing there attention going, tell him neither. Neither. You see, sometimes people will ask you a question, and he'll, they'll give you two alternatives, both of which are wrong. The 
this woman did this to Jesus, but I, that T.I. was trying to paint this guy into a corner, and he basically did, because all the guy could do was stand there and go, ah, he didn't know what to do. He was freaking out. It was fun. But anyway, um, Jesus or, was given two alternatives, both of which are wrong. But in the, this woman's case, I don't think she knew any better. All right? I don't think she was trying to be testy. And Jesus says it's not about the physical. It's about truth. And it's about the spiritual. Okay, let's look at this a second. Mount Gerizim, they got a temple. They built a temple, that, and it didn't belong there, right? So this was uh, something that was set up that God never ordained. God was pretty clear in Torah that, you're, that the, particularly males, they were to quote three times a year, they were supposed to do a pilgrimage where? To Jerusalem, to the temple. Now, earlier in the book of John, what did Jesus do when he was in the temple? He cleansed it because they had turned it. Now, John doesn't say this. John doesn't record Jesus saying this, but the other gospels do. My house will be called a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. So he cleanses it. Later on, some 40 years later, he is going to allow the Romans to destroy it. Kind of fulfilling that which he's saying here. The time is coming and now is that those who worship God will worship him in spirit and in truth. So God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit. So when we worship him in spirit, there's a lot of, I, I mean, I'm just getting started. And I'm not going to go long, Okay. When we worship him in spirit, it's formational. Formational. When we worship him in truth, it's informational. Both, yeah, okay, all right. I got, I'm getting the looks. Some of you are like, what in the world are you talking about this morning? I don't know, so let's close in prayer. No, I'm kidding. All that we know wrong book it's the bible though all that we know i want to do this out of the new king james all that we know about god we know it how because we read the bible well yes kind of but let me read to you out of the bible first corinthians chapter two Boy, I, I almost want to back up to verse 1, but I won't. Verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our 
glory. Which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Who knows the spirit of you better than you? Unless you're in total denial. Or other things that I won't bring up right now. How's that? We'll just let that go, right? Now we received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, the Holy Spirit that is, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. I hope you're there because this is really important to, 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 to grab this. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Boy, I need 30 minutes just to unpack that verse. But he who is spiritual judges all things. Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. I skipped over, so I'm going to back verse 13 these things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches but which the holy spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man does not receive the spirit of the things of the spirit of god for they are foolishness to him nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned all right This is kind of a combination of worship between of spirit and in truth, all right? But what this is telling us, what Paul is telling us, is that unless the Spirit of God reveals these things to us, we're not going to get it. I'm talking about spiritual truth here, all right? What the Bible says, what it declares. Now, does the Bible declare truth? Yes, it does, okay? So we will not understand the things of the Spirit. We will not understand the Bible either informationally or we will not understand it so that it transforms us formationally unless the Spirit does that work. In other words, guys, we don't get it on our own. Ever talk to people about the Bible and you feel like you're talking to a rock? Right? You feel like everything you're saying to them is just bouncing off their forehead? Just me, huh? A couple of you have, yeah. And it's like, well, because either the Spirit is not revealing it to them or they're not listening to the Spirit. At that moment, they are not worshiping. At that moment, they are not worshiping in spirit and in truth. Remember, it's not about Jerusalem. It's not about Gerizim. It's not about this building or those buildings. All right? 
The Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And we, first of all, we get truth from the Holy Spirit who reveals it to us. And when we get truth, we worship him in accordance with that truth. Pick on the Mormons again because that's fun, and I have, I've already done it once. That means we do not worship a Jesus whose spirit brother is named Lucifer. All right? That means we do not worship a God whom they say as man is God was and as God is, man can be. That's not true. Now, I, I had a couple Mormon missionaries at the door about, well, about two weeks ago. We had a wonderful time. I got them to give me a Book of Mormon, actually. So I'm just going to read it so I can poke, poke some more holes in their theology. But, but that's it's not true. The 450 prophets of Baal who are ranting and raving and jumping up and down and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Now, they were worshiping a false deity. So they were worshiping in falsehood. At Sinai, when Moses is up on the mountain, what did the Israelites do? I talked about it recently. They got Aaron to make them a golden calf, and they said, this is Yahweh who brought you out of Egypt. Was that true? No. No. If you remember correctly, when, when, when Moses finally descended, 3,000 of those who were the, like the heavy-duty worshipers, they were put to death. So we have to worship in spirit and in truth. And the spirit reveals the truth to us, but there's also this understanding is that I don't just worship Jesus with my mind, I also worship him with my spirit. I worship him with my soul. I worship him with my heart. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, Jesus says. That is what? What is that? That's the first commandment. Which is very similar, by the way, to the first of the Ten Commandments, but we won't go there this morning. The Spirit works in truth. And no one, no one genuinely knows God without some type of a spiritual revelation, some type of, of a spiritual revelatory encounter. We don't get it on our own. That's what the Father's looking for. For my worship of him to transcend, that is to go beyond just my normal intellectual understanding. Because I know that there's a whole lot more to God than just my brain. There's a whole lot more to God than just my voice. 
There's a whole lot more to God that, that, that I can worship him in such a way. That's what I love about sitting in silence. Like we did this morning for a little bit. And I was just like, I just want to sit here for a moment. I know it makes some of you uncomfortable. And, but but just, just to kind of tap into spirit, deep calls out to deep. Psalm 42, 7, deep calls out to deep. The spirit of God reaching out to the spirit of man. The soul of God reaching out to the soul of man. This connection that I cannot describe, and yet when it happens, I know it's happening. I hope you've experienced that. I want to say, does that make any sense at all to you guys? I, I, I hope that this does. I hope you resonate with this because the Lord is requiring us to, to worship him in spirit. But when I, in the midst of that worship, and even after that worship, I go forth in truth. I don't go forth in weirdness. There's a lot of weirdness in the church. A lot of strange stuff that, 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 that the Spirit gets credit for. That I'm looking at going, I'm not so sure that's really true. Now, I've also learned that I have to be open that the Spirit of God is willing to deal with me outside of my box and His. And I've had experiences with the Spirit. Still like, I better not tell you that one. But I've had experience with the Spirit of God where I knew it was Him. I knew it was Him. And it was so beyond what I expected. In fact, one time I was like, this isn't going to happen. This isn't going to happen. This isn't going to happen. I'm telling myself, this is not going to happen. And it did. See me later. How's that? And I have no explanation for it. And so I want to hold the context of what I believe to be true within the context of my lordship to the Lord Jesus Christ being filled by his spirit, being taught by his spirit, being controlled by his spirit, and being fed the things of the spirit by him. And I can do that anywhere. I don't need Gerizim or Jerusalem. Because God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Man, I feel like I barely had touched the garment this morning. And I know I've left you probably with more questions than answers. And I'm thinking, that's good. Because I'll turn you back to 1 Corinthians 2. The natural man does not understand these things, but they are revealed by the Spirit. But, and I'm going to close, they are not revealed all at once. Some of you just took a breath. Good. They're not revealed all at once. <sighs> Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake. Which is all wrapped around this concept of truth. All right? 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Amen.